Um, before we get started, uh, I just want to thank anybody who came out to Freshwater on, uh, on Friday night. We had a great time. It was wonderful. Um, experienced a great, great presence of the Lord while we were in there. Uh, had lots of different people that came from different types of churches. We had a lot of people who came for the first time. They'd never tra- uh, gone to a Freshwater event before, and so it was cool to see all the new faces. And we even had, <laughs> it's crazy, a lot of people that would have normally been there, there was two different huge events that were going on in town as well. One was the senior night for the football team, and then the other one was the Butler County Fair was also going on at the same time. And so even though we had both of those events going on, we still had a pretty decent turnout uh, for all those and th- for those who were first-time guests. It was really cool to see them come out and, uh, and hang out. So the next one that we'll have, if you're interested, is going to be December the 9th at the Rogers Theater at 7 o'clock. It's a Friday night. Uh, we'll be a little more on the Christmas emphasis, but um, but it'll still be worshipful, so it's not like a concert or anything like that. So it'll be really, really fun. I'm hoping to get uh, a cello and a violinist to kind of do some combination stuff. So we'll see. No promises, but that's what I'm kind of looking for. So thank you guys. All, those, all of you guys who came out, that was really great. And uh, for those of you guys who didn't, shame on you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, you can come the next time, and that'll be great. We'll, we'd love to have you guys out there. So uh, this book of Timothy, if you, if you remember, we did a, a, a series over the book of Titus talking through uh, Paul's spiritual sons, essentially. Titus was one of Paul's spiritual son, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. And, uh, and so he had a couple spiritual sons that he wrote specific letters to called the Pastoral Epistles, where he's really directing specifics to these men on how to lead people well. And so we went over the book of Titus, and Titus is a little different than Timothy's uh, experience and what he was walking into because Titus— was based in Crete, and that was a really huge hub of commerce and trade and things that would happen going in and out. Lots of philosophies and different religions were being kind of pushed around at that time, too, and so he was dealing with a lot of paganism and a lot of this stuff that was really coming against the church, and so kind of redefining what it meant for them to gather as believers, and then uh, charging Timothy with, uh, with, with some good encouragement to continue on preaching the gospel and reaching people for the cause of Christ. Now we're looking at Timothy. Timothy is now in a place called Ephesus. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that there's a book called Ephesians. And Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. And so Timothy was actually sent to this church in Ephesus, very established church, well-established church. And he was sent there on a specific mission. His mission was to correct false doctrine being preached by certain individuals. Um, Paul even goes as far as to naming two individuals who are specifically speaking false doctrine at the back end of the first chapter. So it's pretty wild. Paul's very specific about, hey, look, there's some pretty wild stuff being talked about in church. And so I really want you to go over there and correct people in, uh, in not following after this false doctrine. And so I think this is something, especially I said this last week, that's really important for us to make sure that when we are in church, when we are actually studying the Bible, that we're not following after uh, false representations of who Christ is. Because one thing that these individuals were doing who were, who were speaking this false doctrine is that they were using what, what Paul calls myths in order to communicate specific things about the gospel. And, and, and a myth, in the way that he used it in the context, is really making up a, a fictitious story about a true uh, or, or a, a highly looked at individual and giving them characteristics that are false, which would give them permission to do things that were not right. So they were talking, uh, uh, they were teaching all of these myths about the disciples, about Christ, about the Old Testament, about things that were not completely true, 
and leading people astray and actually allowing people to live in sin because of the way that they were speaking in the church. And so it's important for us to know what is the context? Why is it that, that Paul is writing in specific ways? And so last week, we got to see specifics about sin, why Paul was targeting certain sins. He uses four different pairs of sins together, and then he uses six individual terms for specific sins. And then he gives a huge blanket statement and says, and anything else that would dishonor God, don't do these things. And the beautiful thing is that, is that as, we, as we kind of look through that, if you want to go back to, to, uh, to that message, you can find it on YouTube or our Facebook page. But the, the interesting thing is that the first half of the, of the sins that Paul mentioned were sins against God. The second half were sins against fellow man. Now, the reason why this is important is because if you go all the way back into, into the Old Testament and you look at the, the Jewish belief system, the Ten Commandments is framed this exact same way. The first half is dealt with sins against God, and the second half is dealing with people and your fellow man. And so Paul wasn't just pulling these sins out willy-nilly and just targeting specific things because he was just aggravated at certain stuff. He was saying these things because of the law, because of what God had delivered on right living and how we should be conducting ourselves within our relationship with God and with man. Also bringing back the emphasis of why Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It wasn't just because it sounds good and because you can give a nice little blanket statement, but because it specifically emphasizes the detail of what God asked them to do from the Ten Commandments. Yeah. To honor God with everything that you could do, not having idols, and then secondly, to treat your fellow man with loving kindness as well. And so Paul details this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Specifically, verses 8 through about 17 is where he really gets into the nitty-gritty. He says, and I'll, I'll just kind of pull this in because I know that we don't have too much time. I don't want to take up going over stuff that we did last week. But just to detail this real quick, uh, the lawbreakers and rebels, uh, the ungodly and the sinful, the unholy and the irreligious, those who, and that was against God. All these things were against God. They broke the law against God, pushing away the, the, the thoughts of God and actually rejecting God's authority. The ungodly and sinful meaning that these are descriptions of behavior that is blatantly wrong and an arrogant rejection of God himself. So not just rejecting his law, but now rejecting God. And then the unholy and, ir and irreligious, this is dealing with worship. The way that they worshiped was inappropriate. The way that they worshiped was not emphasizing glorifying God, it was emphasizing glorifying men and the people who were in charge. And when we elevate individuals, especially in today's society where we have lots of celebrity Christianity, it's very easy to elevate someone who has a gift or a talent. It's very easy to do that with someone who, who seems to be making a huge impact. But what we end up falling prey to is we end up falling prey to worshiping people instead of worshiping God. Meaning that anything that that person says, we treat it as gospel truth. Instead of going through the word and allowing the Holy Spirit to emphasize and to give us good discernment. If we don't challenge ourselves to actually have a relationship with God, then it's going to be very hard for us to withstand trials and tribulations in our life. And so that's very important. Then the second group, when he goes through those specific sins, he says those who kill their fathers and mothers, those who are murderers, those who are sexually immoral, those who are practicing homosexuality, those who are slave traders and liars and perjurers, and anything else that is contrary to the sound doctrine. I love that he talks about those who he emphasized mothers and fathers, specifically because in the Ten Commandments he talks about honoring your mother and father. And then you can have a long life. You can live in longevity. You will have wisdom as you're able to honor your parents. 
Some believe that this is, they were specifically killing their parents. Another thought that they were just neglecting their parents. And then another thought they were just dishonoring their parents in their miserable lives. I think it could be a mix of all three of those. That there are some who could be murderous against their parents. There could be some who just completely uh, negate them in their elder years to where they weren't actually taking care of their family and making sure that they were living a long and, and, and healthful life, especially in their time of need as they get older. And then there are also those who just dishonor their parents and they completely push them away and, uh, and dishonor their name and did all everything that would, um, that would go against honoring their parents in the midst of that. And then the sexually immoral. The, this, I love that he goes through sexually immoral and then homosexuality. In today's society, we emphasize much of the LGBTQ movement without in looking inside and noticing that there are a lot, there's a lot of sexual immorality that is also amongst many, many hom- uh, heterosexuals. It actually blankets across all of humanity that sexual immorality is run rampant. And so we cannot just look at homosexuality and say, poo on you, and then not look at anything that we're going through in our own lifestyle and realizing my thoughts are not right. You know what? I'm not looking at things that, that are actually glorifying God. It may not be nudity, but it's getting you to the point to where you're thinking about things that are inappropriate. And that in itself is also lustful in its, in its intention and leads you to sexual immorality. Because Jesus said if you even look at another person with lust in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. And so he gets to the heart of the matter, not just the action of the thing, but it's just how, what are you thinking? What's in your heart as you're going through? What's causing your mind to be driven to these things to where you're, you're leading an action in that? And so we see sexual immorality is the first thing that he lists there and then practicing homosexuality. And then slave traders, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. The beautiful thing about this is that even if you feel like you don't fit the description of any of the ones that he listed specifically, you fit the, fa- the final one that he put here. Anything that would be in contrary to the sound doctrine, which means that no one is exempt from the necessity of salvation. Everyone needs a savior. No one is too good or lives too good of a moral life or, or walks through and is able to do everything that they need to on their own and then be able to have relationship with God throughout eternity. You need to actually have the saving grace of Jesus Christ evident in your life. You need to have him um, specifically impacting your mind, specifically impacting your life. That if we're living in stagnation, then we need to reevaluate and actually listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and find out what it is that's not driving us closer to Christ and what's distracting us from anything else that could be bringing us to emphasizing our love for Jesus. And so that's what we talked about last week. And I love in the final, in the final three verses uh, of chapter one, this is leading into, into chapter two, uh, Paul writes this. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regarding the faith. Among them, and this is where he mentions these guys, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. It's pretty harsh, pretty hardcore. We talked about that the first week, so I'm, I'm not going to go too much more into, into that section. If you missed that, you can feel free to go back and, and listen to that message. But what I'm getting to is this next chapter. In chapter 2, he goes into this and he says, I urge you then So we have to know what he's talking about beforehand. If you see that he says something about, I urge you then, that means that there was something that led him to saying this phrase and to get into this part of the letter. So I urge you then that all petitions, first of all, that that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Bless you. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior 
who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. This is the only section of scripture we're going to be really camping out in this morning. There's two sections to chapter two that's, uh, that's very vital, but because of the importance of each of these sections, I don't want to just gloss over it in just one message. So this week, we're going to go through this first half of 1 Timothy chapter two, and the second, uh, the second half we're going to go through next week. Um, if you're familiar with this book, there's a lot of dialogue that happens um, between uh, different opinions that people will have on the interpretation of this, uh, this section of scripture. So I think it's very important that we take just a little time to make sure that we are adequately doing this passage justice. So let's pray before we get, get really started into breaking this down, just to, to kind of get ready. So Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much for, for Paul taking the time to write to Timothy. Thank you that we have a great example of a man who cared about those who are coming up in the ministry and those who are, who are commissioned to go to different locations and to be a light to those in those places. Lord, in this process of breaking down the scripture and looking through what you have in store for us, let our hearts be open, let our ears be open, let our eyes be ready to see these things that will impact us, not just in understanding your word, but applying these things to our lives. Lord, we don't want to just be full of knowledge, but we want to be full of wisdom, able to, to effectively and act and push and, pu and pursue your grace and your face in the midst of each and every area of our lives. So Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and to learn about your word and to learn about your heart and what you have in store for us. We give you praise, honor, and glory, and I come against the spirit of offense in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. All right. So this chapter is, is, uh, goes through the instructions on worship, how we're supposed to worship within the gathering of, of, of the body of, of believers. I think this is very important and valuable for us because it sets up some structure for us on what we're to expect whenever we also gather with one another. So going back to verse 1, um, he says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. I love this, because he goes from talking about the, the inappropriate activity of sin that's happening within the church, the, the misunderstanding of Scripture in these passages that have been so ingrained in the, Jude in, in the Judaism that they have so grown up in. And those who are now uh, from the Greek persuasion, those who are Gentiles, who were not Jews, um, coming into the faith, now they're coming into this process where they may not be as familiar with Jewish law. And so they're coming with all of their thought processes, their philosophies, their ideas, their ways of life that they've so grown up into, um, up until this point of coming to know Christ. And so this is what's called uh, Hellenism. And this is where uh, you would take Greek practice and Greek culture and implement that and put it into also the church to where they were able to look. They looked a lot like Greeks. They, they practiced a lot of the things that Greeks would in their culture, but they were Christians at the same time. So they were Hellenized Jews. So they were Greek uh, persuaded Jews. So this was uh, just a really interesting mix of two different cultures coming together and being in one church. The cultures, the culture that was set by those who were in Greece, those who practiced and followed Greek mythology, those who had different ideas and, and methodologies of what it meant to actually follow after gods, plural, because they were polytheists many of the times in those different uh, cultures and societies. Polytheists as in they worship many gods. 
And so now you're bringing all of these people into the church. And it's, I mean, it's an amazing time because you have church growth. You have lots of people coming through. But it creates a set of problems and issues whenever you start to have people who believe a l- quite a bit differently than what you believe. They're, they're, how many guys have ever noticed that whenever you are around different friend groups of people? You, you notice that they didn't grow up the same exact way that you did. The way that they talk to some people could be a little different than the way that you have been used to talking to people. That could be on a positive and a negative way. You know, maybe, maybe you've seen, you've been around someone who's extremely polite and you feel like you are just really missing the mark when it comes to being polite to people. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're like, I would never talk to my mom that way, the way this dude talked to his mom. Can you believe what they just said? My goodness, what is wrong with their face? This is crazy. I, I do not get it. What is wrong? Maybe the way that they treat other people or maybe the, the disregard they may have for other people's items or articles or things. And, and it doesn't mean that they're necessarily evil or bad. It just means that the way that they grew up is quite a bit different from the way that you were raised. And so the things that you value and the things that your system is set on could differ quite a bit from those people. This is a lot of what they were experiencing in this climate and this time. They had many people who were thinking much different than they were. I mean, they had temple prostitution, for goodness sake, and they would go, and that's the way that they would worship their God. Just, just go visit the prostitute for a little while. Not the way we do church over here, okay? So um, quite a bit different in the way that they would, they would go through their process of worshiping their God or gods. And so now they're having to deal with these things in the church. What kind of ideas are being fed to the people of God? And these leaders, uh, supposed leaders, who are coming in and teaching what should be correct and sound doctrine in an established church now, are now leading the people astray as they're implementing these ideas and ideologies that are anti-gospel. It's anti-word. And so how do we reconcile with this? I love what Paul says. He urges them first and foremost. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. He said, everybody say all people. Ah, for all people. So it's very easy for us to pray and to intercede, and to ask the Lord on the behalf of those who you love, and who's been inside of the company of the church, those who you've, who've really, really enjoyed being around, and you're like, man, I really want you to prosper, I want the Lord to bless you, it's going to be amazing, I see great things in your life, but what we miss out on is that we miss out on the all, (laughs) we just look at a people instead of all people, you look at a people in a group of church, churches, a people in the faith, but he says pray for all people, and then he moves a little further and says, for kings, he gives a little, a little subcategory from all. Then he says, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And this is good. And it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people, everybody say all people. All people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if we look here, the context throughout this letter, this, this, this form, remember, is combating the false doctrines of those who are teaching. And so if you look and you keep that in mind at the, at the top of when you're reading each and every one of these lines, that Paul is combating false doctrines. What was being taught in the church at this time was more of a Christian elitism than it was a Christian inclusivity. What do I mean by that? I mean that there are a lot of people who are believing that as Christians, you were an elite group of individuals who now was better than everybody else who were not believers. Meaning they were not praying and petitioning. They were not looking to do any of these things for their leaders. They're, 
the Roman Empire? We're looking at that because who won those guys, right? They're the worst. Hope they die quickly. <laughs> Just the hand of God come and smite them off the earth, right? Pain for those who are the governmental authorities in their individual locations set in place by the emperor. Forget those guys. They represent the big guy that I want dead too. Now you look at all the soldiers, then you got all these other individuals that are falling after the regime of, of the Roman Empire. So you're looking at like, this is the worst. But instead, he said, we need to include all people because they all need to be saved. We see that the local culture has been pushing and pressing the community life in a way that causes Paul to intervene forcibly. Forcibly by urging them. He said, I urge you. He didn't say, I just wish you would. I think you might need to. I think it's a good idea, maybe. Hey, if it just fits in your schedule, if you could just pen it in real quick, maybe get a reminder on your phone, just if, if you have the ability to. I know you're busy. I know life is hard. But just if you could just real fast, you know, just two seconds, you know, take a step out. No, he said, I urge you. That is not a light statement. That is not like a little playful nudge. He's, I'm urging you. I'm pushing you. I'm, I'm pursuing that you do this. I am imploring in this state, in this time, that you are doing these things. The real concern is for prayer that supports the church's universal, universal mission to the world. And that is this. To evangelize everyone in their nation. To fulfill the great commission that Jesus put forth. And when you look at Acts chapter 1, he says that we're just supposed to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's very hard for us to do these things if we don't give a hoot about these people who are in these positions of power either. If we don't care about anyone who's going around and who's in our realm of influence who may not be believers in Christ. Paul is very adamant about reaching the Gentiles, which is why at the very end of, of, of verse 7, he's saying that I'm a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Because as a Jew, he was most qualified to speak to Jews as someone who was a Pharisee, as someone who was extremely educated in the word, as someone who grew up under a very established and esteemed rabbi. Yet he was called to, the, to those who were outside of the Jewish background, the Gentiles. And so Paul urges the church, he said, you guys are losing sight of your mission you're actually using the church as a place of, of a palace to where it's essentially a palace for yourself to where you're looking at yourself as elite individuals now as the cream of the crop, as above head and shoulders, everyone else who's in society and who you are the most special person on earth. But let me tell you, Jesus believes that every single person is extremely valuable and special. And we see what actually happened to those who glorified themselves in front of Christ and, and pushed everybody else aside. They were quick to fall on their face and have to be humbled. But those who were already humbling themselves were brought up to a position of intimacy. We cannot look at ourselves as, as elite over those who are hurting and broken who need the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul urges Timothy to instruct the Ephesian church to re-engage in an activity that it had been neglecting. Prayer in support of the mandate to take the whole gospel to the whole world. Viewing this as an evangelistic charge, 
the church's commitment to acknowledging the secular power structure and society's expectations should be seen in light of its prayer for salvation for everyone and the effective political leadership that will provide a way for the gospel to be advanced in peace. This should be our prayer as well. We pray for the soul of, of, of Joe Biden, that he is able to come to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and be driven to his faith. We pray for his cabinet. We pray for each and every judicial, judicial system. We pray for everyone who is in governmental authority. We pray for everyone who is in our immediate structure. We pray, we pray for the one who's the government. We pray for those who are in the Senate and the House. We pray for each and every one of these individuals to experience and encounter the powerful presence of Jesus Christ and be driven to a knowledge of God in a way that, that causes them to accept the free gift of salvation that they need. I do not desire the destruction or the, or the removal of any individual for the sake of my own self and my own preference because this is the gospel that needs to be pursued and it's the gospel that needs to be preached. So whether it's raining, it's snowing, it's sunny, or it's cloudy, the gospel will continue to be, to, will continue to be preached. However, we do pray that whenever they come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we're able to experience peace in a way that we can peacefully expand the gospel and the kingdom of God. But regardless of the fact, the gospel will continue to be pushed and progressed because it is not by my might or by my power. It is not by my political influence or my political preference. It is not by my, my own thought process on how things should be ran in, the, in this world. It's not by any of these things. It's by the complete sheer fact that the Holy Spirit drives us to grab people and to, and to sustain them into a relationship with Jesus. The Lord is just and the Lord is righteous. And he will take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. I don't need to pray that someone passes. I don't need to pray their death. I need to pray their life, sustainability of their life, and that their life is found in Christ. I don't want to be caught in witchcraft, praying against people in a way to where it actually makes me aligned with the enemy. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these three. The greatest two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't need to defend God. He's plenty capable of defending himself. What I need to do is I need to follow and obey his word. I can stand for what I believe, absolutely. But I don't need to be the one that, my, that by my hand, someone's life is, is completely taken down. The Holy Spirit will lead and guide me in the ways that I need to go. So I don't need to make my own way so that I can advance the kingdom for that. That's how we got the Crusades. That's a terrible time in church history. Awful time. And when you talk to anybody who is, who is at least keen enough into, into the historical documentation of Christian progression, you will see that they will always bring up that event of the Crusades. And they will say, that's why Christianity is false. is because no good God will ever allow something like this to happen. I've talked to many people who that was their excuse. And looking into an intellectual thought, they listened to some other people who really emphasized that. And to that, I say, 
that we're all fallible people and humans. And there's terrible interpretation that came from that, that era of time and what the Bible was actually saying. And people saying that I can go obliterate a people group just because I feel like that's the good thing because it's going to advance the gospel. When in reality, you can see a lot of selfishness in the midst of their thought processes. That's not my Jesus. And so how are we being influenced in the midst of all these things? What is our driving force? Is our driving force Christian elitism? Is our driving force that, cool, now I have my ticket to get into heaven? I've mentioned this multiple times, and I will continue to mention this, that it is not the destination of heaven. Is, that should not be our driving force of doing good things here on earth. We already have, if, if you have, if you've accepted salvation, if you accepted Christ into your life, that means the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. The living God is inside of you, dwelling with you at all times. So guess what? He's the one we're going to be hanging out with in heaven anyway. So why are we waiting to encounter heaven when we have heaven living inside of us right now? We're now supposed to deliver this message, deliver this lifestyle, deliver this type of thought process to everyone that we're around, and that is evangelism. Experiencing heaven on earth. Jesus said that when you pray, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to pray for his kingdom to be manifested here on earth as it also is in heaven. Now we get to live out this beautiful gospel. Now we get to live out what it looks like to love God and to love people. But if we have our mind twisted up to where now I'm just ever so loving awesome more than anybody else, just because I have my ticket ready to punch and ready to go whenever the good Lord calls me home, then we've completely lost sight of what it really means to be a Christian. We've created ourselves a bunker in which we call a body just waiting for our time to exit this place. While other people are dying, are experiencing turmoil, they're, they're, they're experiencing all kinds of harshities in life, and they need the message of the gospel in their life. They need it. They need it. Okay. So first, Paul commands that prayer be given for all people in, in authority. Second, he says that God's will concerning salvation was the emphasis that caused us to believe that Paul is seeking an evangelistic front to be made in reaching Gentiles for the gospel, removing hyper-Judaistic emphasis on the Jews, taking it from the Jews and placing an entire mandate for evangelism to the world. With the overall theme being the, the refuting of the false teachers, we can see how the emphasis being taught was one of elitism. So when we're looking at these types of prayers, he mentions these, these four. Petitions, prayers, pet, uh, uh, intercession, and then, uh, and then these other uh, the type of prayer for all of the, all the other ones in these authorities of thanksgiving. So petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving. These petitions are, are requests. They're it accurately captures the sense of, of its term. It's described as a direct request made to God to intercede in some way for his people. Uh, these translate the most uh, generic terms. Some of these are, are kind of interchangeable with one another at times. And, uh, and we see that, that prayers is, is the most generic term for communicating petitions or requests for intercession to God, and it includes every aspect of prayer, from petition to thanksgiving, but in general, it covers, um, but this general coverage does not make the term a reference to a general prayer request. So we're not, ta we're not talking about prayer requests. We're talking about actually petitioning, actually going, going after the face of God for these people and these authorities and these, these things. 
And there are some people who think that this is like a layout of how you should pray. You should pray first petition, a prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving. Um, there are quite a few commentaries that disagree with that notion and say that we need to just be doing these things as an activity in our life. It should be a lifestyle that we have, not just a thing to check off throughout the day. And something that's very helpful is that whenever we go into these times of, of petition, of, of prayer, of intercession and thanksgiving, um, when we give thanks, it causes us to move off of what we can do, and it causes us to think of what God has done, can do, and will do. What he has, he is, and will be doing. It's amazing. I thank you, God. This, you see this all throughout the book of Psalms. I thank you, God. I praise you because you are this, you are that, you are this, you are that, you are that, you are that, you are that. One after another, after another, after another. And then you have the other petitions, the ones that are like, oh, God, please. This is the worst. This is so terrible. I hate what's going on right now. My life is in shambles, please. Oh, destroy the ones who are trying to come against me. This is terrible. It's crazy. We see that a lot of times. And that, there's room for that. Jesus, Jesus can handle our difficulties. He can handle our questions. He can handle the things that we're struggling with. Sometimes I feel like we, we become too religious in thinking that we cannot come to him with our raw emotion and letting him know how we feel. Let me tell you, that's a lie that you cannot do that. It's, it's not inappropriate to come to the Lord when you're dealing with things and you need, you need help. It's one of the most powerful prayers we can, we can pray in the midst of our struggle is help. <laughs> and you can insert whatever other kind of terminology you need in the midst of that. But let me tell you, it's powerful to let the Lord know that I cannot do this on my own and I need some help. And so then to give thanksgiving in the midst of that, you can see that it is not by my might again or by my power again, but it's by the spirit of the Lord that's able to deliver me. I'm teaching a class on Sunday nights over the book of James, and, and Sue's in the class, and my goodness, it's just full and full and full of very helpful imagery and very helpful things that really delivers an understanding of what it means to suffer for the cause of Christ and then to also be joyful in the midst of your suffering. In every season. And so we need to have petitions, prayers, intercession, actually going on behalf of other people to the Lord. Praying for them, even when they cannot pray for themselves because they don't know how they, they can do so. This is a powerful thing. I love that we have a prayer group that meets on Friday mornings, able to, to really dive in and, and, and intercede and pray for the things that are happening, not just in, in our church, but in our town, our community, our state, our nation, the world. It's valuable. It's so valuable for us to be able to do these things. But we cannot just lean on these wonderful individuals who come on Friday for them to just pray and intercede for the causes that, that we need to. We need to be diligent to do this on our own as well. If you truly have a relationship with somebody and you are, you are very close with them, then you feel like you can go to them when you're in, in need and when you have difficulties and troubles. And you know that they're going to come and they're going to be willing to help you. And so it's very hard for us to come to God if we don't have a relationship with him because we feel like we're violating or we're asking of something that we have not yet given ourselves, which is intimacy. It's hard for people. When you've been away from God for a while, you feel like you just haven't had a good connection, and you come to approach him for the first time in a minute, you're like, hey, it's me. You remember me, Zachary Dwayne McEnulty, <laughs> November 28, 1991. <laughs> You know me, right? You know, I mean, I've, I've been around sometimes. Uh, so I was thinking the other day, I just really, really am in a bind. 
and it's really tough. You feel like you need to almost give a grand introduction, like you need to be, oh, the Lord of the Most High, of the grandest of all the things, and then be able to, you know, kind of fluff him up a little bit before you ask a question. It's like, look, if, if he truly cares about you, you can get to the meat and potatoes before having to do some kind of song and dance. And then realize that as you pursue him, that it's going to be easier for you to go to him in those moments. Circumstances may not be easier, but going to him will be much easier because you realize that he has so much more in store for you and that he has so much more love and compassion for you in the midst of your struggles. And so I urge you, first of all, petition, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may, be, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. In, uh, in all godliness and holiness. This doesn't mean that we are to stand idle while evil happens. I think people also mis, uh, misunderstand this principle as well. They feel like, oh, we just need to pray for peace so that we don't have to you know, stand up for anything. I can just kind of shy away and hopefully people don't do dumb things. Newsflash, we live in a sinful world with all kinds of people who love to sin. So guess what? Until Jesus comes, sin is going to be on the earth. So do you know what we need to do? We need to be able to stand for what we believe in. We need to be able to be, be people who live righteous lives and in godliness. This doesn't mean that we, st- we steamroll people when we disagree with them, but it means that we can stand firm in our faith and have conversations with people, even in the midst of uncomfortability, because we know that the topic could be a little contentious. Knowing that I can have a conversation with these people because I know that I've, I've been walking, just as James says, that the testing of my faith produces endurance. So that I know that as I'm going through, that it's the, it's the endurance that causes me to live holy and in completeness. As we, as we move throughout these trials and, and circumstances in our lives, it causes us to think and to process and to really consider, do I believe what I've been stating for a long time? Do I believe what I've been hearing at church for a long time? Or is this just something that has just been around and I just kind of say as just a quick thing really fast to just— you know, just answer a question whenever I feel like I'm met with something that I don't agree with. What do you actually believe? And when you find out what you actually believe, then you're able to have conversations with people calmly and simply because you don't feel like you're being challenged in a sense of having to completely disembowel your entire faith. This is what happens when you meet people who they, they have a pretty good argument against Christianity. And we're not trained or equipped enough because we're not reading our Bibles and we're not spending time in intimacy with the Lord because then it derails us and then we get frustrated because we don't know the answer. And then we start to try to raise our voices a little bit because this is what God said in his word. And they're like, but I don't agree with it and this is why. You're like, but no, you're stupid. I don't understand. And then you result in some name calling and then saying that they're just ridiculous and that they're all these things and then you become a bigot. And then all these things start happening because we were not firm in the way that we present the gospel. One of my favorite people to listen to within discussions is a man named Dr. John Lennox. He's uh, the head of the mathematics department at Oxford, and he believes completely in the power of God, and he's a continuationist. And he has conversations with people who are absolutely in the new, uh, the new atheistic movement, people who are agnostic and people of the like. And in reality, you can see that they start like almost manifesting in the middle of their conversation, just snarling, just calling names and saying he's stupid and just incompetent, all these things. And he is just calm as a cucumber. 
and able to just deliver the things that he has read. And many of the things that they're quoting, the different people that they're quoting against Christianity, he was like, oh, I really enjoyed reading that book. Actually, have you read this one, this one, this one, and this one? They also state this, and this is where you can find that this was false because, and he just unpacks all these things. He was very educated. I'm not saying that you guys have to go through and read papers and papers and papers and theologians and all these different things. But what I am saying is, are you challenging yourself by going to the Bible and actually reading what it has to say and taking a little time to dissect it? Taking a little time to look through it, to know, am I actually in correct doctrine or am I just spouting things that I'm listening to on Instagram posts, on Facebook reels, and on YouTube from people who don't really know what they're talking about because they're just trying to grow their channel or grow their following? Do we have discernment? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit? Or has YouTube become Holy Spirit? Okay, I'm almost done, I promise. Are you guys okay? <laughs> okay, good. <sighs> I yelled for a second, I saw it. Okay, so he says this. He says, verse 4, who, who wants all people, so sorry, verse 3. This is, the, this is good and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and one mediator between God and mankind, that is Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. So we see here that it is good and it pleases God that we live in godliness and holiness. As we live in godliness and holiness, then the message of the gospel will be so forefront and evident in our lives that it's going to be hard for people not to, to realize that you are a believer. You'll be able to have conversations with, the, with those people who may be in disagreement with you because you're firm and you're, and you're confident, you're grounded in your relationship with God. When that happens, it doesn't matter the opinions of other people. You could either even be less educated about certain things than the person that, that's wanting to propose an argument against you. But the thing that's great is that you are not shaken because your faith is not in their ability to see that you're a Christian. Your faith is actually driven on the one who gave his life as a ransom for those in mankind. The only one who is the mediator between us and God. The one who created a way for us to have salvation. The one who actually gave us access to the kingdom of heaven. And the one who delivered what it actually meant to follow after the law. As he spoke and taught as he was walking on this earth. The one who died on the cross. And wasn't just a martyr, but three days later raised from the grave. Defeated the penalty of death, hell, and the grave. Of sin, shame, condemnation. And provided a life that could be everlasting lived. Living, living in abundance of the, of the presence of God, knowing that I can be convicted of my sin and not condemned for my sin. I'm going to say that again. Knowing that I can be convicted of my sin, which leads me to repentance, which draws me into further relationship, which causes me to walk out in further holiness because I can correct my behavior by transforming the, uh, the thoughts in my mind and following after Christ, not being conformed to the world, but in condemnation, you feel discarded. You feel like you're guilty, yeah. You feel like you're inadequate and like you are, you are not worth it. Causes you to, to sink into depression, sink into anxiety because you feel alone and helpless. You feel like there's no, no extra help. There's no, nothing that can actually deliver you from this feeling that you have 
but faith transcends feeling, reaches down and grabs you from that place, and, and pushes you into who you're called into, which is a child of the Most High God. And anybody who's a good parent knows that when your child is suffering, whether you guys are, are on good terms right then or not, you're going to help them out because you want them to do well. And so we see this in Paul's writing as he pushes people back to, the em to emphasizing Christ, removing the glorification of individuals who stand on stages, who stand at pulpits, and teach a bunch of falsities, teaching myths and giving excuse for sin, instead calling them to a higher calling of holiness and godliness by looking at Christ Jesus, not looking at man, and saying he is the one that we need to pursue. And what he's told us to also do is to reach the world with the gospel. So we can't hide up, bunkered up into a church building can't just stay at home and think that everything's gonna we need to be able to reach people we need to be able to love people we need to be able to pursue the presence of god and holiness and righteousness and then he ends that phrase with as a true and faithful teacher of the gentiles so paul's not saying i just have a bunch of good words to tell you about this stuff and i hope you do it he's saying i'm i'm continuously doing this stuff and this is what you need to also be doing I love in another letter that he says that many of you guys are just bickering over who you're following. Some of you guys are following Apollos. Some of you guys say Paul. Some of you guys say another guy. Another you guys say another person. And who cares about that? Who cares? It's stupid. We're all followers of Christ. We need to remove these barriers that we're setting between one another, bickering over little things, secondary issues. Next week, we're going to see that there's a pretty, pretty tentious topic as people have very high opinions of, of what they believe this, this scripture says. So we're going to meet this with, with grace and humility, but I believe that it's, it's an important thing for us to do as the entire body of Christ, to be able to elevate and to encourage and to push and pursue, to be able to show people that they all have value and they have worth within the body of Christ. Whether you're at a pulpit or you're on the street or you're in a cubicle or you're in a car, you're at Taco Bell, we're called to love Christ. We're called to reach people for the gospel. We're called to live in holiness and godliness. Whether you have a whole nation looking at you or you are just sitting in your room by yourself. We're called to love Christ. Amen. All right, let's stand up this, this morning. I won't take too much time. It's 12.04. It's important for us to do these things to look and to examine. I, I, I want you guys for this morning, if you could, to take just a few moments and examine yourself and, and see, Lord, is, is there any area in my life that I have not been, I have not been faithful to evangelizing for your kingdom? I've been not faithful to, to, to tell other people about the wonderful gift of salvation that you have. Maybe you haven't been living in holiness and godliness and it makes you feel inferior in being able to spread this message. Maybe you feel like there's, there's just not enough time in your day, that you're just so busy. Like there's no room for you to be able to, to be effective for the kingdom. I want you to just take a few moments and just consider what it is the Lord is calling you to examine in your life and to change. I would gather it's a very general thing for all of us that we need to do more. 
for me to pursue his face more, but, but get specific with the Holy Spirit. I think it's important for us to speak and, and ask for specifics so that we can know that as we progress through, that we have specific things that we can look at, specific goals that we can reach within our, our relationship with God. So just take a few moments and think about these things. Jesus. I thank you for the opportunity to come together here in this place. I thank you for the letter that was written to Timothy. I thank you that there was an established church in Ephesus and that we have an example of churches who didn't have everything right. God, you don't, you don't desire perfection from us, but you just desire intimacy and authenticity. And in the midst of that, we'll be able to grow in right relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you convict us of things that we are, we are doing that doesn't glorify you. Convict us of, of unrighteous living, of unholy activity. Convict us of things in our minds that are, that are causing us to stumble and to, and to fall into temptation. Lord, highlight things throughout our day that we can get rid of that, that pull us away from our attention and our focus on you. Lord, Lord in, in the times that we're extremely busy, I know that I have a very busy schedule in my life these days, as I pray that you are able to, to give us a mindset that continuously glorifies you in the midst of our activities. The Lord, we will be faithful our, to, to you and in, in, in working in the jobs that we have and attending school and classes, Lord, that we will, we will look for, for getting the best grade that we are capable of. Lord, that we won't be subject to laziness in our relationships with one another. We won't be subject to, to disregarding individuals just because they're a little different. Lord, that we, won't be, that we won't fall prey to Christian elitism, feeling like we are much greater or better than anybody else. That in the midst of dis disagreements and discussions with people, that we'll be able to glorify you and honor you with every word that comes out of our mouth. Lord, drive us to, to create space for intimacy with you. Lord, that we don't religiously have to feel like we have to open our Bibles every single day just to, to check off something so that we can give the appearance of righteousness, but give us a desire for your presence. Give us a desire for your, for your face. Even if it means that just really solid three days a week, we're digging into scripture. Let that be something that transforms our hearts. Let us grow in our knowledge of you, but let us not just be full of knowledge. Give us wisdom so that we can apply what your word says in our everyday life. Lord, I pray for opportunities to strengthen relationships that have weakened. That family ties and family bonds that have been broken could be reunited and reestablished. Lord, that work expectations that we have, that in inadequate thoughts that we have about our bosses possibly or, or people who could be overseers, 
in our, in our, uh, in our jobs, Lord, that we'll be able to remove those things and we'll be able to pray for them to come to the knowledge and understanding of your salvation in their life. Father, that we will not be filled with complaints when we come to you, but we will be filled with praise, thanksgiving, and expectation for you to do great things in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our lives, in the midst of the sphere of our influence. That, Lord, we cannot control other people, but, God, let us control our behaviors and our thoughts in a way that pleases you, in a way that honors you, in a way that glorifies you. Lord, we want to be agents of revival and that we are seeing people revived around us and salvation. We don't need thousands of people in a church service to know that you're moving. We've seen great things from those gatherings that have happened, and, and we expect that that will happen again, but we're not shooting for that being the, the apex or the, the, the pinnacle of your moving in our lives. Lord, let, let people who are around us experience your presence and experience salvation. If we're just here for a gathering in a building, then we've also lost sight of what it means to glorify you and to live a life of, of Christian thanksgiving. Let us pursue you. Let us be lovers of you. Let us be agents of the kingdom. And let us walk with boldness and courage. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, you guys have a wonderful, marvelous Sunday and week. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. So feel free to come up here and uh, we'll, we'll anoint you or we'll lay hands on you, whatever it is that you need. Otherwise, you guys have a wonderful week. See you guys tonight for ministry school, Wednesday for the midweek, or just Sunday for the next service. All right.